Hello, Brandeis community. Welcome to episode three of Udcast, recorded here in the Sound Lab at the Brandeis School of San Francisco. This is head of school Dan Glass with you once again. Uh, and in keeping with the ritual we began last week, we're going to begin today with a poem. This is a poem that was actually sent my way by my stepmother, uh, and it's written by a rabbi, Rabbi Menachem Creditor, who is the rabbi at Congregation Nativot Shalom in Berkeley, California. Um, And it's written uh, about the controversy, for those of you who pay attention to such things, surrounding the San Francisco 49ers backup quarterback, Colin Kaepernick, and his decision to kneel um, during the national anthem as a way of protesting uh, gun violence and and police violence against African Americans in the country. Um, So this is a poem called To Kneel. Uh, and it's dedicated for landing him and Kaepernick are angels in the wings. Sometimes it isn't about nuance. Sometimes it just comes down to facing the storm, calling God out, standing at the center of a whirlwind, holding your ground. No cathedral is immune to agony, no soul impervious to life itself, no nation purely noble. If there were any other way, there would be no need for cathedrals in the first place. Kneel, stand, sit, rise up. To kneel is to submit, to lower oneself, to step down, to pause. To kneel is to call attention, to touch the earth's face, to listen to those whose blood saturates the very roots of our story. To kneel is to step aside, to step outside, to invite others to come closer, to remember. To kneel is not to stand, not to stand, not to stand idly by. Speak your truth, goddammit. That's what God wants most of all. Uh, So this week's Yudcast uh, and this week's Word of the Week uh, are thinking about silence, and I thought this would be an interesting poem to begin um, because it is clearly about the question of of standing up, of being, uh, speaking out, um, or kneeling in this case, uh, and not remaining silent. I have to say, I had the good fortune of uh, hearing Rabbi Creditor um, at the Keshet uh, Gala last year, um, and um, I was really blown away. It is such a pleasure um, to listen to um orators, you know, rhetoricians, people who uh, truly know the power of the word and the power of the voice. And uh, just to hear him up speaking at that event, um, I believe, uh, I actually don't entirely remember the context that that he was speaking, but just um, his power as a speaker really, um, really made an impression on me. And uh, it's neat to see his uh, writing as a poet as well. I actually had not realized that he was a, a poet. So there we begin this week. Um, so yesterday uh, I had this this break in between meetings. It was a brief break between a few 
uh, conversations that were happening. And and so I wandered upstairs. I try and wander in these moments between things. Uh, I wandered upstairs to the build space um, to uh, step in for a few minutes and admire the room, even as it was in stasis and, and empty of kids. And I was struck as I walked in by the silence. Uh, it's a kind of silence that, that I remember from the wood shop that was in our basement when I was a kid. The silence that's as much about other senses, about dust motes trapped in sunlight, about the smell of sawdust um, as it is about sound. Mr. Newberger uh, had a, a notebook open on a table there and he, you know, jotting some questions or ideas or, uh, about projects he was testing in these neat little bursts of Hebrew script. Um, the room was full of potential energy waiting for the next batch of kids to come bring it alive in joyful noise. And I had actually come to build seeking that silence, uh, oddly enough, because it is not always a place to go if you're looking for a quiet room. Um, but in the kind of curious itineraries that make up my reading on any given day, I had picked up uh, Alan Marinus's Everyday Holiness, the Jewish spiritual practice of Musar, uh, which sits on my dresser along with another, uh, a, a bunch of other books that are sort of currently in progress or that I dip into and out of at various times. Um, and that was a, a, a gift from the Havruta that I have with Rabbi Batshir Torchio, who I mentioned last week here on the Yudcast. Um, and, you know, I've been exploring Musar. It's a, um, you know, a, a sort of meditative practice um, around midot, around character qualities um, that uh, is, is tied to um, medieval rabbinic practices of uh, meditation and spiritual um, reflection. Uh, really brilliant stuff, something I was completely unfamiliar with prior to um, prior to last year. So it's been a, a really interesting piece of my learning um, these last 15 months. So I opened this book, um, and uh, I happened to just open it up to the chapter on silence uh, and read there about the rabbis who taught each other to guard their tongues carefully, uh, taught each other to make space for quiet and to reckon with the stillness of the universe. Uh, in the chapter, Marinus asks, have you experienced the thick silence of a forest that penetrates to the marrow or the morning after a snowfall when stillness spreads an incomparable blanket on the muffled world, the night sky, no wind, the voluptuous silence of a becalmed sea, a mind released from chatter to stillness? Reading those questions, I have, like I, my soul inside of me was stirring. I was thinking, yes, yes, I, I have had moments like that. Although interestingly, for me, less nighttime moments and more sunrise, break of day moments. So I remember as a kid, I participated in this wonderful program called Midrashah um, that's uh, a sort of uh, post-bar bat mitzvah education for um for Jewish kids, and there was one morning on a retreat, a weekend retreat that we had where I participated in a sunrise minion with uh, a, a number of other kids, uh, including, um, you know, uh, a few Orthodox kids and kids from my temple, and um, it was one of, a, one of the first really significant moments of um, 
encountering other Jewish practices in my life. Um, and that was really powerful and really still. Uh, another moment more recently, a couple years ago, we were in Tulum in Mexico, and it, it was a very hot night, and, and Sonia, my second grader, she was in kindergarten at the time, I guess, uh, she and I were sharing a bed on this particular night, and she was like squirming all over the place, and it was a million degrees, and I just couldn't sleep, and so I got up in the middle of the night, and I was reading this amazing novel uh, that I recommend to all of you called The Lion Seeker by Kenneth, uh, I don't know if Bonnert or Bonaire, B-O-N-E-R-T, um, uh, that's about Lithuanian Jews who moved to South Africa. It's a really brilliant book. So uh, I got up and sat up in the night and read from, you know, I don't know, one in the morning until sunrise and then walked out to the beach because this house where we were staying was right on the beach and walked into the waters of the Caribbean right as dawn was breaking. And it was uh, a powerfully still and a powerfully spiritual moment for me there. Um, and I think each of us carries within us those kinds of memories and those kinds of moments. And, uh, and Marina suggests in this chapter, which I think is super interesting, that it's to those kinds of silences that we should turn when we say the Shema, uh, that, we, you know, when we're trying to stop and listen and really hear, um, we have to find those silences within ourselves to do so. Um, and... I was thinking about that idea of listening later in the day yesterday um, when uh, I sat down to, to eat my lunch and had the new print issue of Tablet Magazine. And I love Tablet uh, Magazine's print issue. It's something they just started last year. I think this is only the third issue. I don't, I don't know if it's quarterly or quite how often it comes out, but it's always fascinating, um, really interesting, kind of long-form explorations of things around uh, Jewish culture and identity and politics. And anyway, I was sitting and eating my lunch and reading this story about Rick Rubin, uh, the um, producer uh, of uh, Def Jam and uh, many other record labels. Um, and uh, it was a story actually about the Def Jam logo, which was really interesting, partially um, because we have just gone through this process of developing a new logo and, and literally this week just sent T-shirts home with all the kids in the school that have the logo on them and say make it matter, uh, which are very exciting to see. And, and we had lots of enthusiasm for the new T-shirts uh, at the Glass household, I can tell you. Um, so I was reading about Rick Rubin and Def Jam. Um, and that was exciting for me also because... Uh, he, Rick Rubin may have been like the producer that most sculpted the soundscape of my childhood um, between acts like the Beastie Boys and Run DMC and Red Hot Chili Peppers. Um, but it was, it was his work with Public Enemy that, that I was thinking about yesterday afternoon because one of the chapters in my dissertation was on um, a few records that Rick Rubin produced for Public Enemy um, uh, it was largely the record. It takes a nation of millions to hold us back, um, and and I this chapter of my dissertation was on Public Enemy and this amazing poet Lynn Hegenian, who I, I recommend to all of you, um, and looking at pauses and silences and actually caesura, so like the 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 
pauses that come in the middle of a line of poetry or, or in the middle of a bar, uh, in the case of a rap song, um, in both of those artists. And, and the argument I was making in that chapter was that the pauses in those works um, were not empty uh, sort of passive silences. It wasn't about the absence of sound, but rather these were active, energetic pauses full of the mess and the anger and the noise of history. Uh, such silences are not empty, but full of hope and action and possibility. Um, and that seems like an important distinction as we go about the work of creating space for quiet and contemplation in our own lives and the lives of our children. So, you know, we're exploring mindfulness here at Brandeis uh, this year. For example, we have, I think, 34 or 35 teachers taking a course together on mindful schools this fall, uh, led by our new lower school counselor, Ivy Levy. Um and, you know, as we're doing that exploration, it seems important to recognize that Jewish tradition teaches us to turn contemplation into deeds, to turn theory into practice, to, yes, to make it matter. Um, and it brings to mind for me a quote that uh, was up in my father's office throughout my childhood, um, which said, uh, stillness is what creates love, movement is what creates life. To be still and still moving, that is everything. Um, and I think so. I think that's it. We pause in our silences filled with potential, and then we let the noise and the joy and the doing of life spill back in. But it's, it's that, uh, I mean, it has such a Jewish um, connection between the pausing and the stillness and the, the need to, to take action and have an impact in the world. Um, uh, so with that, uh, I wish you all weekends full of moving stillnesses, my friends, and I hope you all have a wonderful Shabbat for those of you listening on Shabbat. Um, let me know if there are things you want to hear on Yudcast. I'm starting to uh, think about what we might want to do in future episodes in addition to sharing the word of the week. So uh, you know where to find me in my office on line on email drop me a line let me know thank you for spending these minutes with us and um have a great weekend everyone